wonder how many songs in modern history mention the word love, or even just the concept of love, or how many songs mention wanting to know more about love. We are perplexed beyond measure about what love is. Is it a feeling? Is it love at first sight? I don't know, I don't think that a cool ballad is going to help us understand it, or even do the definition justice. We have to take a closer look at what love does to help us uncover what love is. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. Today, Pastor Jason takes us through the last session of the sermon series called Bootleg Jesus, How to Know If Your Faith Files Have Been Corrupted. And today, it's all about the matters of the heart. What is love? Is it a feeling, a lightning strike, a choice? Love can't so easily be summed up in a series of adjectives. So let's find out more about what Jesus has to say about love. And let's check it out right now. Well, this is the last of our sermon series called Bootlegged Jesus. How to know if your faith files have been corrupted. One of the really funnest parts of this has been anybody under 25 wondering what that yellow thing is <laughs> up on the screen. Google it. Google it. Right. The origi- this is even the original floppy disk. This isn't even the floppy floppy disk. Right. So anyway, the whole idea of this series is recognizing that kind of like pirated or bootleg software on your computer. When you download something and then it, it's got some corrupted files on it and eventually it's going to crash your system. You're going to wake up to the blue screen of death. And there's a faith version of this, I think. This is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, that there's a faith version of this. And what happens is over the years, you get certain beliefs about the Christian faith or beliefs about who Jesus is. And they're not exactly true, but you live as if they are. You don't mean to get these files, you just download them accidentally. And the only fix is to get them off your system and to re-download the original uncorrupted file. So that's what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks. And if you've missed it, if this is your first day with us here, uh, you can always check out uh, the sermons. They're in video form online on our app, um, and they are also available through our podcast, wherever podcasts are found. But... Um, Let me just quickly go through the corruptions we looked at so far. So the first corruption was uh, some people believe that there's no evidence for the historicity of Jesus outside the New Testament. In other words, the argument goes, well, the New Testament says all this stuff, but there's nothing to corroborate it outside the New Testament from ancient documents. And that is false. There's a lot of corroboration. It doesn't necessarily help you believe that Jesus is Lord, But what it does do is it confirms the history of the claims that were made about Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, the circumstances of his trial and crucifixion, and of course, what his earliest followers believed. Then the second corruption was kind of a close cousin, and that is that Jesus being God wasn't even a thing until the Council of Nicaea in the year 325, some 300 years after the resurrection. We also looked and saw that that is untrue, completely untrue. But some people have taken it to heart, uh, either through pop culture or through other sources. And then the third corruption was that, okay, well, let's say all that's true, but I don't think Jesus really claimed to be God, that he was misunderstood. He said stuff, and then they, they just 
got carried away. And all the evidence suggests that that is a corruption. It's not true. Jesus, the whole reason Jesus was crucified was because he was charged with blasphemy. Why? Because claiming that he was God. And then the last one that we looked at last week was that, well, if you follow Jesus, if you follow God, it's all about following the rules. There are certain rules if you're going to be a Christian, and if you break them, you're not a Christian anymore. The behavior police are out, and they're out to get you. Now, sadly, let's just say it for what it is. Sadly, this is a lot of people's experiences of church. This is a lot of people's experiences of Christians. And there's no wonder why they don't want to come. I wouldn't either. See, I was raised with, like, no Christian rules or values, so I I don't have that same baggage. But I think, you know, there are a lot of people out there, that's their number one complaint, is that, you know, I don't know, you tell me about Jesus, and then I meet church people. And they have, and they're like telling me how to live my life, or they don't understand, and they're giving me all these rules I have to follow. And we said, it's not that the rules aren't important, but they're not the most important. The way that we framed it was, last week, is saying, God is not like a cosmic referee waiting to blow the whistle every time we screw up instead he's more like a coach right he loves the players he wants them to succeed he teaches the rules so that you could get the most joy out of the game possible he's not impartial waiting to blow the whistle no he's very partial he wants you to win he wants to get the most out of you so that you can enjoy this game called a flourishing life The truth is, God is much more interested in our hearts than in our adherence to the rules. All right, so today we're talking about kind of like the last part of this, and that is love. People say all sorts of things about love. In our culture, in our society, love is an extremely popular theme. It always has been. But I also think that some folks have taken kind of like the worldly idea of love and use that to inform them about what God-sized love looks like. And I think in there is, is a problem. So corruption number five is uh, to love is to follow your heart or to chase your feelings. In fact, if anybody's ever been to a wedding that I've done, you know that I talk about love like this. I'm going to share it with you now. Is that love, most people see love as like uh, a romantic comedy. Right? And I know there's a few people, actually I see some people who are here who've heard, this, heard me say this, but it's like a romantic comedy, and that if I want to follow love, there is a certain recipe. Okay, this is it. So anybody looking for love, this is what a romantic comedy will teach you. The first thing you got to do is you have to meet somebody in a super cute, like quirky way. So you go in, and you're, you're exiting a coffee shop, and one of you, like, drops the coffee, like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. And then you pick, oh, let me buy you another one. And then you go back into the coffee shop, and then you're sitting at the table, and you're just kind of locking eyes and sipping your coffee, and, like, there's some definite sparks going on. And you're there. You're so into it. There's, like, a janitor sweeping at the end because you're closing the place down. And then you invite her over for dinner, and, and you impress her, and you go to a store, and you got the paper bag with the French baguette sticking out of it, and you go, and you have wine, and it's this beautiful, impressive meal, and again, fireworks, and things are looking really good, but then she's got like this skeptical best friend 
who hates your guts, and you don't even know why. But then, through a series of misunderstandings, it actually looks like you're a jerk, and the skeptical best friend says, oh, see, I told you it was a jerk, and then she's like, well, I don't want anything to do with him, and then you're like, oh, but it's not true, and then it's actually the skeptical best friend in the end who discovers that you really weren't a jerk, and that uh, you really are a good guy, and then she's like, oh, yeah, and then she's running, and you're both running to each other in the rain, always in the rain. And then you embrace and you kiss and bam, you are in love. That's how to do it. I always, I always wanted to see the couples therapy, the sequel. The couple. I think that'd be very entertaining, but not Hollywood. Anyway, here's the point, is that what the world will say about love It said, hey, listen, it's all about, you just got to chase your feelings. You just got to follow your heart wherever it leads. And that sounds awesome. And then you think about it for like 30 seconds. And you're like, well, wait a minute. My heart has led me to some pretty dumb places. If it's all about chasing your feelings, you are a prisoner to your own feelings. It can lead you absolutely anywhere. Following your heart wherever it leads, really? I I don't know. That's really hard to uphold. So what does it mean then to have this God-sized love? It's got to be more than just chasing your feelings. Although I get it, love has feeling. There's something to it. But how do we say it in a way that it seems that God is not a slave to his feelings. There's something about God-sized love that's different than our human-sized love. Jesus, in uh, the Gospel of John 15, 9 through 14, he frames love for his followers. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I think most of us, like, we hear verses like this, we read them, and we say them at special occasions because they sound really nice, and we love talking about love. We love some love. But if you actually read this, and again, for like 30 seconds, process what he's saying, this is an incredibly challenging and hard passage. He's calling us to a standard of love that is God-sized love. He's saying... You're supposed to love one another like I loved you. And actually, he doesn't say, oh, you know, I kind of wish you would. (laughs) If it's not too much trouble, love people. No, he says, my command. My command. Like, you will love as I loved you. That should make all of us, whoa, yeah, I better, better pay attention. So how do we define 
God-sized love. I think this is really like the root question. Okay, if we know what human love is, and it's kind of fickle, and it's a lot about feelings, so how's God's love different? What does that look like? Well, let's follow this uh, train of thought. So if God is perfect, and God is love, so we get this from Scripture, God is love. How many, any math teachers out there? Anybody remember when you're teaching a word problem to kids, what do you tell them when you see the word is, you're supposed to do what? Put an equal sign. So if God equals perfect, God equals love, he is perfect love. He is what it looks like to love without sin, to love perfectly. But you see, just like any, any math theory or any formula, it's, you really can't get your head around it until you see it in action. You have to use it. And so what God did was, he didn't want God-sized love to just be abstract. No, so that's why he embodied it in Jesus Christ so that we can see what perfect love looks like in action. So then we know what it looks like to love the way that God loves. So Jesus equals love. He is love in real time, in real flesh and blood. And he says, my command... Love each other as I have loved you. So what does that look like? All right, real quick. 1 Corinthians, just to, just to summarize. What does 1 Corinthians say? Should we be on the next slide? It talks about love being patient and kind. It doesn't envy, boast, or dishonor others. It's not proud or self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so we read something like that, and we're like, yes, that is real love. And we celebrate that. And yes, that is exactly what it looked like when Jesus loved. But that's not it. If we stop there, if we only focus on the warm fuzzies of love, we miss the power. Because love also looked like Jesus rebuking people. He called Peter Satan once. How much would that stink? You're following Jesus. You think you're kind of getting it right. And he calls you Satan. <laughs> wow. Epic fail. He corrected people. He corrected their theology all the time. He corrected their beliefs. He corrected things like, well, it's all about following the rules. No, 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 it's not. It's about your heart. You should have the kind of heart that wants to follow the rules. That's what Jesus would say. He challenged, he sacrificed, even to the point of laying down his own life. These aren't the warm fuzzies of love, but this is the power of love in action. See, here's the thing. Here's what I think it comes down to. If, I, if I'm going to define God-sized love versus human love, here's what I'd say about God-sized love. It's not about following your heart. It's about following the Father's heart. Let's go to John chapter 12. This is Jesus talking about the difficult side of love. He's talking about predicting his own death. And this uh, scripture is nuanced, I think. So... I think you want to read a couple layers in to hear what Jesus is saying about love. 
Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And this, he, there's a really amazing thing going on, what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's also uh, making a parallel between Moses. When Moses lifted up the rod, uh, that if everybody looked at the rod, they would be spared death. He's, he's saying, when I'm lifted up, everyone who looks at me will be spared death. And um, it's a pretty deep theological thing going on. That's why I always say... Jesus is so complex and so um, nuanced that it would, if you don't think Jesus was a real person, it would have taken a Jesus to invent a Jesus. But like, it's just too, it's too complicated. The thing, all the things he is accomplishing at once. Anyway, sorry, I digress. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. He says a lot of deep stuff here, but here's the part that I don't want you to miss. So if Jesus is perfect, is love, he talks about part of that love being judgment. Love also judges. What? That doesn't sound right. Well, hang on. I don't mean like the human way, like we're judging each other kind of judgment. What he talks about, he says, there's going to be a judgment against evil. Here's the important thing to remember. You can't have love without justice. You can't have love without judgment. That's never going to make a romantic comedy. But it's the truth, and here's why. And think about it. I know it sounds weird, but think it through. Even you as a parent. You say you love your kids. But out of love, you say, well, I'll just do whatever you want. There's no rules. Just whatever. You know, honey, you really shouldn't stick your finger in the light socket. But if you're going to, no, that's not love. That's not going to help your kid to flourish. There's some judgment in there. There's penalty for wrong, and there's rewarding for right. You can't fully love unless you're punishing sin. God's size love has to include judgment, or we couldn't say He's a loving God. What loving God would allow sin to just run 
amok so that it never gets punished. No, you couldn't say that he's a loving God then. If there is no punishment for sin or wrong, it's not really love. Again, it's not about the rules, but the rules have to be in play for the game to work. For justice to happen. So again, love isn't about following your heart, but the Father's heart. And this is the challenging part when Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. It's conditional. He loves his children, but he says, you are my friends. You are my, you are my people. But you got to do what I command. I, it doesn't just happen. And notice what he says, if you do. There's a really great book by uh, Bob Goff called Love Does. And, uh, and I encourage you to get that book. It's wonderful. But the whole idea is this. Love is an action item. It is a verb. It is something you have to do. It's not just an idea. It's something that is done. You show you love through your actions. I could say to my kids or to my wife, I love you so much, and then I could make a series of choices that show nothing of my love. That if I really mean what I say about love, I have to choose to show that love and to express that love with others. And I think that's what gets us to our final definition here. I said the world says love is a feeling that leads to a choice. So follow that feeling, and they're going to make that choice to love. When I think God's love works in reverse, God says love is a choice that leads to a feeling. Love is a choice. Listen, I, many of you know my story, and, you know, I'd, I've lost three parents, yeah, stepdad, birth dad, and birth mom. They all died young. And uh, my, step, my father figures in my life, I mean, I've really struggled. I've got father issues for sure. Um, what did it look like to love my birth father even when he was being horribly damaging to himself, to others, my stepfather, what did it look like to love? It certainly wasn't a good feeling. It, it was a choice. And it didn't always look like warm fuzzy to love them. Sometimes it meant rebuking them or correcting them. I am in no way equating myself with Jesus. I did it wrong and continued to do it wrong a lot. But hopefully over time, he helps me to do it better and better. Love is a choice. It's a choice, and no matter what is going on, you're saying, I'm going to choose to love, even when I don't feel like loving. So here's my question for us as we finish up today. How will you choose to love today? Listen, it's Memorial Day weekend. Maybe you'll see some family. Now, I'm sure your family, everybody gets along and it's wonderful. But other families aren't quite so lucky. So 
Maybe there's somebody who you need to forgive. Maybe there's somebody you might need to seek forgiveness from. Maybe that's how you choose to show God-sized love. It's a choice that leads to a feeling. Or maybe, maybe it's showing your significant other, demonstrating the love that you say you have, not just relying on past expressions of love. Or maybe it's inviting that friend of yours to church that, ah, it's just been in your head and heart for a long time and you can't quite pull the trigger. Whatever it is for you, let that choice happen. Choose to follow the Father's heart, even above your own heart. Because if you choose your heart, you may have fallen for a bootleg Jesus. Jesus.